Hello, everyone, and welcome to Booklist's Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right into your earbuds. I'm Susan McGuire, and this is our 10th episode. How can that be? In the immortal words of Tevya, as he watches his daughter get married, sunrise, sunset, swiftly flow the podcasts. If you thought that Fiddler on the Roof reference was great, you're going to love my conversation with Katie Stover and Crystal Ferris from the Kansas City Public Library, because I totally make a joke about that song from Oklahoma. You know, the one about Kansas City. Fortunately, that part is very brief. But then we get to the important stuff, like a discussion of how they pivoted their super popular author events and children's and teen programming online. Then audio editor Heather Booth talks to a few special guests about their plans for road trip audiobook listening. But first, a word from some friends. Professional development is soups important for library staff, but finding the time and the funds is real tricky. Booklist webinars are a great way to squeeze some continuing education into your busy schedule. Each free one-hour webinar covers something staff can take right into their work. Like what? How's about picture books, or sci-fi fantasy books, or craft books, or book group picks, or library management, or library reads? So many topics covered each in one convenient hour. Register to watch the webinar live, or to be notified when the video is up in the archives. All free! All just one hour! Perfect for those days when you only have enough time off the service desk to eat a sad sandwich in your office. Find upcoming webinars and archives at booklistonline.com webinars. The Kansas City Public Library is known for author events, and RA superstar Katie Stover does dozens of them each year. Her colleague, Crystal Ferris, presents a wide range of programming for youth of all ages. But, you know, pandemic. Like a lot of you out there in library land, they had to work quickly to give the people of Kansas City what they wanted. So I talked to them about how they did it, and how the needs of their patrons changed as they stayed socially distant, and what fire eating has to do with it. Yeah, I said fire eating. Here we go. Hi, I'm Katie Stover. I'm the Director of Reader Services for the Kansas City Public Library. I'm Crystal Ferris, and I'm the Director of Youth and Family Engagement for the Kansas City Public Library. All right. And everything, as we know, is up to date in Kansas City. Sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) We like to think so. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, you all are ahead of the curve in author events, certainly, and events that speak to readers. So that's why I'm talking to you today. We did jump right into transitioning our in-person author events and other special events to an online platform as soon as possible. That was one of the first places we pivoted. I know that Crystal will talk later about how we pivoted the youth programming right away. And that is just stellar how she and her team did that. But the public affairs team at Kansas City Public Library looked at all of our events for the rest of March and those in April. And one of the first things we did was consider which ones can we transfer to an online format that will be appealing to the Kansas City community. And since then, we've we've done very well. We run our events through Zoom, like most people are doing now, not doing them as Facebook Lives. Instead, that we're running through a third-party software that cleans everything up and allows us to put the author or the speaker 
name and affiliation at the bottom of the screen. And Ooh. that's also a great place for us to drive traffic to the bookstore uh, partner that mm -hmm. we're working with. Typically, it's Rainy Day Books in Fairway, Kansas. But if it's not Rainy Day Books, then we are doing a concerted push for folks to buy books by these authors on bookshop.org. I love it. So that uh, folks can can really keep the indie bookstores in business because they they help drive library discovery as well. Yeah. We've noticed that we're getting a wider reach when we're getting a wider attendance. It's fun because of course I'm going to promote the events that I do to my family. Yes. So it's neat. My family's been able to tune into the library's YouTube channel and watch me do my thing nice. with our authors. So recently I interviewed Bruce Goldfarb, author of 18 Tiny Deaths, and I did BJ Hollers for Midwestern Strange. Uh -huh. And it's, it's terrific. So they get to pop in and they get to ask questions. And then, of course, there's embarrassing mom comments in the YouTube. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> but, but for other author events, we know that we've had attendance from both of the coasts. Yeah. And this is the boon of transferring your events to an online format is we might not be getting as many in-person attendees to our events as we have in the past. We used to pack our Truman Forum in our Hellsburg Auditorium, but we're getting we're reaching so many more people on the coast because they're seeing the social media promotion. Right. We're getting the word out through participants. It's worth it now for our our participants, our present our presenters, our authors to tell their family, "Hey, I'm doing this because it's not so much, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm going to Atlanta or Kansas City, and sorry, you can't see it. Now it's, you can see it. So we're, that's, I think that's also why we're getting so many more people, is right. that our presenters are doing more of a push and a share with their communities and their networks to attend. You must be able to attract a wider variety of authors, I imagine, too, because they can be in New York or they can be in Michigan or wherever, and you can interview them without having to have them physically come to the library. Yes. Have you changed who you're approaching? I don't think so. And and changes are, well, we're, we're feeling that we're on a more level playing field with some of the larger libraries with larger budgets. Yeah. So we are approaching the larger authors who would fly over Kansas City or whose publishers would fly over and just hit Chicago or go or Dallas and just go straight to the coast from there. Mm -hmm. So we're approaching the larger authors and asking, hey, don't you, you know, we're all in this together. We're all equal now. So why not, why not do an author event with Kansas City? Yeah. We're strengthening our partnership with Rainy Day Books and they're doing a wonderful job of connecting us with publishers, with authors who are on book tour or authors who whose book tours were postponed for a while. And now they're now they're more interested in checking in with checking in with all the libraries and getting as many different events as possible on their schedules. And we appreciate that. So we're taking advantage of that when possible. Yeah. And I, I think about this with, I mean, Kansas City is not a smaller library. I guess it's smaller than New York and Chicago, but 
you know, most of the libraries in the country are small. You know, they might be part of a county system, but they might not even have uh, a bookstore in their community. What do you think, what advice do you have for smaller libraries who want to have author events and, and who are overlooked by marketing sometimes? So if I were at a smaller library and I wanted to jump into online author events, this is actually an ideal time to start casting a spotlight on your local authors who might want to reach a larger readership. So I'd have the smoothest, most professional setup for those authors as possible. Mm -hmm. I'd have in place which bookstore you're going to partner with if you're going to partner with a bookstore or know that it's going to be bookshop.org and have a short list of those bookstores that you want to promote. I would look for the local author and I would turn it more into a program or an event mm -hmm. and less a reading. I would actually not emphasize a reading because any, unless you're doing story time, yeah. watching someone read to you isn't fun for grownups. <laughs> so, uh, well, unless you're David Wright. <laughs> so I would suggest for a smaller author event is to turn it more into a program, mm -hmm. turn it into something that's in formative and engaging. With nonfiction, this is easy. There's always so much research a nonfiction author had to take out of the book. Yeah. So ask the author to turn that into a program that works with the book and becomes sort of a book talk for the book and less a book reading. Readings are not Unless you're James Earl Jones, readings usually just aren't that interesting for people and it's not fun to watch. Yeah. So turn it into a program and then the book is this side benefit or and the program becomes value added content for people who purchased a book or who have read the book and then tune in for the program. And if you're doing a novel because it's novelists that mostly want to read because they don't know what they can talk about on yeah. the side. I direct the local novelists, the, the indie novelists that I work with, to also tell me about all the material they had to leave out because every novelist I know had material they had to leave out. So talk about that. Don't just talk about your writing process. You don't need to talk about those questions because you'll get those from the audience. There's going to be somebody that asks, where do you get your ideas from and how do you write? And the answers could be anything, and most authors will tell you, well, I write at 2 a.m. with a cat in my lap and a cup of coffee mm -hmm. next to me, and that's just the same, that's the same answer. I hear iterations on that all the time, and personally, I'm not, frankly, that interested in that answer because my response is always, shut up, go write me a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there, like, an ideal length of program time? Like, do you, for adults, do you say, like, we're not going to go over an hour because we're going to start to lose people, or you know, half an hour book talking, 15 minutes questions or? That's, our standard is about 40 minutes of meat in the content. Mm -hmm. And what we, what I have noticed online is that because there's a little, there's that screen barrier between asking questions that our events are running a little bit shorter. So whereas in person, our events were running about 60 minutes. 
there are times when our events are running at 40. So we'll have presentation and Q&A and that'll take you up to about 40, 45. And we, we bank on that. And then because there isn't a signing line that extends the event. Right. There's not mingling where people come up. Yeah, there's not mingling. And we let the, we usually, we always let the audience engagement dictate how the event concludes. Yeah. And Crystal, I imagine there's a different time frame for youth or several different ones. Well, yes, um, several different ones um, with the age group, depending on the, the target age group, of course, um, the younger, the shorter it needs to be. But I find even as an adult watching the events that for me on online event, yeah. 40 minutes is about my max. I have faded out into Neverland. <laughs> so what has been different for you from what you normally do for online youth book programming to this new uh, virtual book programming? Well, a lot. Um, as yeah. <laughs> okay. For everybody, of course. I think one of the things that, that we have been talking a lot about is that, especially for children who had to do school online in some way, shape, form, the um, digital fatigue is real. Yeah. And um, it's real, it's particularly real for the parents. And so if the parents are fatigued, we're not going to see the children. We may see the teens, but we're not necessarily going to see the, the children. So we did pivot right away here in Kansas City. It only took us a week after closing down to start doing story times. And we were doing, we went ahead and did them live in the beginning on Facebook, just because that was the an easy transition to make um, since we already had a fairly large audience of families on Facebook. I would say one of the things we have discovered is that it doesn't matter whether it's the virtual or the real environment, families really like evening and weekends. Yeah, I've been a children's librarian for 30 years and always have been everywhere I've been. People want evening and weekend story times and then they do not come. However, if you give them evening and weekend story times virtually, they will come. Okay, interesting. So we are seeing our largest audience at our evening pajama story time and our Saturday morning yoga story time and our Sunday morning regular story time. That's that's when we're actually seeing people. And it's clearly saying to me that even if um, we get to have in-person programming again someday in the future, um, we're going to have to continue to provide this kind of virtual book-related programming on the evening and weekends right. because it will, it is a, it is a situation of if you build it, they will come. Yeah. And I can imagine, right. Once you put your kids in their pajamas, you don't, you want them to be going to bed. You don't want them right. to be taking them out and getting excited about stuff. I think for teens, one of the things that we did to transition for the summer reading program is that our largest attended event for teenagers in the past has been a cosplay ball at the end of the summer. Teens come from all over the city um, to our plaza location and we do it after hours. So it's only teens in the building. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a a pretty big event. So in discussing how to transition that to a virtual environment, we're still going to do the ball. But one of the things that our teen librarian at at Plaza has done that has been particularly successful (laughs) is kind of a, a whole summer of cosplay. Okay. So... We put up a YouTube channel for the Youth and Family Engagement Department in March. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't have one before, but realized that our older children and our teens were not going to find us on Facebook. Um, They were going to find us on YouTube. So that's where we've landed. And so she's 
we have a, a local cosplay group that has been doing um, videos for us on how to do makeup and how to do um, oh my gosh tutorial how to do costumes so little tutorials exactly and we've had we have had um, fandom yoga um, every Friday so just a whole summer kind of built around this idea of fandom and yoga and drawing, um, illustrating and writing your own stories. So we've been, it was kind of interesting. One of the teens in our, our teen advisory group calls themselves the teen leaders of today because they're tired of being called the leaders of tomorrow. <laughs> and so they, um, she did a, she did a video for the YouTube channel about creating Minecraft brownies and how, how to do that. So it was, and that one has been particularly successful, I think, because it's a team creating. Mm -hmm. We're the facilitator in right. this um, area. So another thing that we were able to pivot to for the summer, of course, and a lot of libraries have done this, is creating activity kits or something related to um, the literature, related to the learning opportunities that we have in the library that were physical, bags of activities that you can do, distribute those from our pop-in pickup service, which is essentially a curbside service. But we matched that up with the videos we were creating in a series for middle grade children that we were calling Make Do Tell. We were having um, one of our youth librarians is actually has a contract for a graphic novel. She's an illustrator. And so she did a um, series of every Wednesday, she had a comic book drawing lesson. I love it. So then we had a comic book drawing kit that you could come into the library and get. So if you didn't have the access for the virtual, you still had access to this information and this what's kind of funny to me and in, in the pivot to virtual programming is that I hadn't really thought about our longtime dial a story program as a virtual program you know dial a story we Kansas City Public Library has had dial a story for over 25 years our librarian that does dial a story decided to give it a go to change it every day, to change the story every day. And we went from averaging 3,000 calls a month to getting almost 10,000 calls in April. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think it was partly that screen fatigue, maybe. And partly there's no digital divide exactly when you just call the phone number. But those are some of the things that a little bit of new, a little bit of repurposing of the old, and a little bit of just being willing to be flexible and being willing to say, okay, you know, that's just not really working. So we're going to stop and try something else. Yeah. That was my next question for you all is not to bring it down, but yet were there things that you tried that you were like, this doesn't really transition or... Like, it seems like it's working for us, but like the audience isn't really responding to it. So we're going to let this part of the work slide for something more effective. I don't know how Katie feels about that, but I, I would say that I think that we may have attempted a little bit more than we could accomplish. And so when we did the YouTube channel, we started this make do tell thing and we had storytelling every Tuesday and comic drawing every Wednesday and steam activities with things you could find in your house every Thursday. Mm -hmm. And we were gung ho in the beginning and about two and a half months into it, everybody was exhausted. Yeah. Just owning <laughs> that the majority of things on YouTube are like series, like a little television show series. And so owning that we were done, we were done being creative with that one. And so we ended season one of make do tell. <laughs> And started up with season two, which was once a week with a rotation of a bunch of librarians participating. 
So there was a little less being tired. The one thing I would want library staff who get brand new ideas to seriously measure when you're putting together your resource list is your time, your physical time. It's a thing you can control and your strength and energy, which is also a thing you can control. And those are the two things that never make the list when we're creating our resources for putting together a new program or service. And those are so important. And it's easy for those to drop off because as librarians who are eager to do everything possible that we can, it's that attitude. I want to do everything I possibly can. And it means that we're dipping deeper into our own wells of energy and we need to I'm not saying we need to conserve. We just need to be mindful about how we parcel it out. There's, it's a big old world out there and all of it can't have all of your energy. Yeah. I think it's maybe a self-care issue also. Like you, you can only give so much. And I think it, if you learn how to quantify your time and your energy, that can help with expectations that admin has of what, what can your department do? And it's like, well, we have this many people, so we have this much time. So here's what we can do instead of just making everyone do everything. Very much so. I think too, to go along with that stretching, is that one of the things that I think that Kelsey, our team librarian, did particularly well was make contact with this cosplay group in Kansas City because they have been so excited about this. They were so excited that the library was was interested in their work and their creations. And that the, I mean, it was all about it, almost as though the library gave validity to their interests by being interested. And we got so much more in return because we got expert sewers and <laughs> expert makeup artists sharing their, their talents and their skills. It's been, a, it's been a delight to work with them. And I think it spread things out further because all we had to do was put it up. Right. And that's also one of the things that we did with our area performers for the summer. Every library tries to bring in, of course, performers in the summer um, to help children be audiences. And so we just, every Friday night um, in Kansas City, we've had Friday night family fun for 14 years. There's a library branch that is open until nine on Friday nights. And so every Friday night, there's something free for you and your child. Party branch. We transitioned that this summer to be local performers. So we have a wonderful local performer who is a sword swallower and fire eater. Oh, oh God. She's amazing. And we can't have her eat fire in the library, but we can have her eat fire on a recording that we put up. (laughs) (laughs) So let's sort of wrap up by, I wonder if there's anything that you learned from turning these events virtual or, or from creating new virtual events that you think you'll take with you once as the library starts opening up and as you start to re-welcome people into the library for programming? I hope that we fold some online events into our in-person events. I found that I became a much better interviewer and a lot more engaged with the event when I had to be uh, one of the hosts online. But I also thought that we were willing to experiment a little bit more because we were online and not just with content with content but with event times yesterday on on Tuesday the library hosted an event a panel presentation on covid-19 and educators in Kansas City and we had over 160 people attend live view that 
and the numbers were higher later on for pop-in views. And that was at 10 a.m. Who would expect that? I'm hoping that we can open up our access by using different times and using this different platform. I love it. Yes, I would agree. I think too, one of the things that we have learned is that in a system where you have 10 buildings and 10 buildings trying to do programming, we have never worried about overlap. You know, everybody doing story time at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday or something. We've, we've not thought about that. But I think what this has brought us is thinking about the programming in a more um, wide span yeah. <laughs> view. Yeah. And, and being more deliberate about when those programs are offered so that we get a little bit more bang for our buck, maybe <laughs> spreading ourselves less than by being more intentional about a system-wide approach to when those programs are offered. And I want to keep that. I want to keep that. And I also think that it has built more of a team among our library staff because yeah. they have worked together to create these virtual environments for children. Across branches, you mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's good. Yes. For adults, I've seen the staff be far more aware of what's going on in, in different locations, even though it's all now mm -hmm. online in our digital branch. But they're seeing the contributions that come from staff who are normally headquartered at other branches. And now they're getting everyone, the staff is so much more aware of our online programming because it is all yeah. under one umbrella now. So no one's losing the cool thing that Diana is doing at Plaza because they don't work at Plaza. They work at, they work at our Waldo location. The staff a couple of miles away are aware of all the different programming that's happening. And so they're also getting to know their staff, their coworkers yeah. a lot better too, because they can see the faces and they're investigating you're investigating the content of the program as they answer patron questions and putting faces to names. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's going to pay off for a long time. And I've always just really admired libraries, no matter what size the library is, libraries love an infrastructure. They love like a middle manager and stuff. And so to see how well libraries have been able to steer their cruise ships and respond to this, these stay-at-home orders has been really inspiring. And yeah. I'm happy. So if folks want to see what y'all have been doing in Kansas City, where can they find you? Well, we're at caselibrary.org and it's youtube.com slash caselibrary okay. if you want to see the online author events for adults. And Crystal, the teen youth services has their own YouTube channel. Right. But you can find it off of the YouTube channel from Kansas City Library. So we also do have our digital media lab for teenagers, and they have continued to do some work. We were actually able to bring some of our digital fellows, our teens that work in, in the um, digital media lab in the summer. We have been able to bring them in, sort of, you know, social distancing with masks <laughs> yeah. to do things. And so their work is up on that on the digital media lab YouTube site as well. So, But all of that is connected out of the library's main YouTube page. Hooray. So everybody look and get inspired and, you know, let's share what cool stuff we're doing. Yes. Thank you, Katie and Crystal. It's so, so fun to talk to you. I am going to go watch a cosplay makeup tutorial. <laughs> okay. Oh, yay. Okay. Well, thank you all. Thank you. Good to talk. Thanks, Susan. Hi. I'm Phil Moorhart, 
Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is the Dewey Decimal Podcast. No, 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 wait. This is an ad for the Dewey Decimal Podcast. Join me and the Dewey Decimal Correspondents each month for conversations with authors, librarians, scholars, and more about topics from the library world and beyond. Past guests Sally Field, Bill Knight of Science Guy, Kwame Alexander, Margaret Atwood, Stephanie Powell Watts, Viet Tan Nguyen, Brad Meltzer, Rick Steves, Ken Burns, Michael Eric Dyson, and many more have joined us to talk about everything from books and writing to library architecture and design. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Dewey Decibel Podcast. Thanks for listening. McGuire Family Vacations used to look a little like this. Six people stuffed jammed Griswold style into a fake leather rooftop carrier with a rusted zipper, four kids fighting over who got to sit in the way back of the station wagon, and whenever the radio station started to lose reception, my mother, turning it off, saying, you kids can just enjoy the scenery for a change. Audio editor Heather Booth takes a much more democratic approach to road trip listening, and as she and her family prepared to drive a camper out to Yellowstone, they all sat down and talked audiobooks. Stick around after the interview, where she and I debrief on how well they fulfilled their book listening plans. Warning, what you are about to hear is very cute and wholesome. Hello, this is Booklist Audio Editor Heather Booth, and I'm here today with three special guests. Um, can we all introduce ourselves? I'll start. I'm Paul Zaremba, Heather's husband. <laughs> I'm Julia, Heather's daughter. And how old are you? Twelve. I'm Thora, Heather's daughter, uh, and I'm ten years old. So my family is here with me today because we have some serious audiobook conversations to have. We are heading out in a couple days to go on a road trip. We're going to be um, driving for a lot of hours. We're heading from Chicago to Yellowstone, around Yellowstone, and we're going to come back. Like 20 hours. It's a, Yeah, it's about 20 hours there and 20 hours back and a lot of hours in the car. So we have a lot of audiobooks ready, loaded up and ready to go. But before I tell you guys about the things that I have set for us to listen to, I wondered if you could tell me if you have a really good audiobook memory from a road trip that we've taken before, because this won't... Um, I have... I remember when we went to, I think, Pictured Rocks. We went to the... We listened to this audiobook called uh, A Night Divided. I was going to talk was, about that. It was about... It's kind of about, like, and fam- like the... The, the dad and the son go to go into town to go see if they can get like food or something and then the Berlin Wall goes up overnight so then it's kind of like the family trying to communicate and then they're trying to get to each other so Thora you were going to talk about that audiobook memory too what was so memorable about listening to that on a road trip passing through the woods and just just listening to the audiobook and just feeling really calm and stuff so the audiobook wasn't a very calm book. There was lots of suspense, and there was lots of... There was a few calm parts. It always kept you on your edge. It kept you on the edge, yeah. but just listening to it felt, made you feel calm? Yes. That's interesting. Okay. Audio, listening to audiobooks made me feel calm. And it was so, and it was like long in a good way. Yeah. Do you remember that one, Paul? 
Yeah, I totally remember we came back, we were at uh, the campground, and we had come back, and we were in, right in the middle of a chapter. We, we actually thought the book was almost over. I remember that. And we stopped because we needed to get some firewood, and we're all sitting there just with the van idling, listening to the book, thinking, okay, this is nearing the end, and that was not even close to the end yet. The so, smart, good stuff. It's like 50 chapters long, so and do, all the chapters are really long. So do you think an, a long book is a good thing to listen to on a, a road trip, or do you want like lots of short I like, One long book. Oh, okay. I like listening to like maybe sometimes medium books and long books if they have lots of like suspense, like the Hardy Boys, but those are kind of short. So I do want to talk about this conflict that can arise when the four of us are on a road trip or any family or any group of people that's driving together. Daddy wants to listen to something that's kind of technical. It's about a topic that's of most interest to him something that the other three of us are not as interested in. How are we going to navigate that? Maybe we can figure out, like, a book that's kind of, like, maybe it's true and it has, like, in, it has, like, interesting things about, like, rockets and stuff, but it's also suspenseful. Like, so you're suggesting that instead of Daddy listening to the more technical book that he wants to, that we find a book that we can all listen to together as a compromise? Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah? I had a thought that maybe um, we could arrange it so when the girls are taking naps. Oh, yeah. Or if maybe I'm the only person awake driving or whatever, I could put it on while, while everyone else is napping. That's a good idea. So, so, Thora, you were talking about a book that you had downloaded onto your device that you wanted to listen to, Loaded. right? Steph Soto Taco Queen. Yes. To listen to. What was your plan for listening to the book on your device? Did you think that we would all listen to it together, or was that something that you wanted to listen to all by yourself? But wait, we read that book, didn't we? Yes. We, we read that we book. We can read it again. Yeah. Do I'm you, sorry, I, I, that's okay. I derailed your question, but I, that's a book that we read. That is a book that we read. So yes. do you like sometimes listening to an audiobook that you've already read the print book for? Yes. Okay. Ah. So I don't. You don't? Because I always like to be like, be like, oh, what's going to happen next, instead of like, oh, I already know what's Well, it was happen. like... A long time ago, like a few years ago. So I don't really remember anything that happened. So you want to you want to read it again? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. So you were thinking that you would listen to that by yourself, like when we're listening to something else. Yes. Okay. That's another way to do it. So do you guys want to hear about some of the books that I picked out for us to listen to? Yeah. yeah. We already yes. listened. We already listened to one of them because it was too good. <laughs> you yeah. listened to one of them already? Yeah. yeah we're it, not was the, it was it was a really good one. It's one of my new favorite books. So one of the books that I have loaded is Song for a Whale, which is a middle grade novel about a girl who is deaf and learns about a whale who hears at a different frequency or makes a song at a different frequency than other whales hear. So the whale has communication difficulties, just like she might. Mm. Um, another one that I downloaded is called Middle School's a Drag, You Better Work by <laughs> Greg Howard. And it is a uh, middle another middle grade uh, like tween book about a boy who starts his own talent agency and his first client is an aspiring drag queen. Oh. Uh, here's one that I really wanted to listen to with you guys called Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds. So I thought we could listen to that and have a conversation about it. What do you think, Laura? Yeah. Yeah? 
I have been reading Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie to you girls at bedtime. Yeah, but the set, I like I like the story, except I don't really un- get anything about the story because I just fall asleep. Yeah, you know, and we're reading, bedtime has gotten increasingly later um, this <laughs> yeah. summer, and yeah. so I think it would be good to start that over. But the narrator, I think, does a great job of reading the book, so I thought maybe I could read some, and, yeah. then, narr- and then we could listen to well, some of it. Fun. What do you think about that? Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah? Okay, so we've got that one. And then I also downloaded Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Ooh. Oh, yeah. For those of us we uncultured watched... ones who ha- who are missing out on the classics. Like you. Me and my mom. <laughs> my mom and watched the whole series of Pride and Prejudice. And I only Thor- watched the first and Yeah, the, Thor the first watched third the first one. And it was really good. Yeah, it was really good. And the narrator for this is really good, too. This is the Catherine Kelgren edition. That I've downloaded. Um, I like the audiobook version more because when we were watching, like, the TV version, it was kind of hard because it was, uh, like, a long time ago. It was kind of hard to, like, understand what they were saying. So I was always like, what? What did she just say? How? What, what does that mean? And I like this because I can, like, understand what she's saying more. Okay, cool. I think that would be good, good to try also. Um, this is one that I don't know if you girls would be as interested in, but um, it's called Sealand, and it's one that I thought Paul and I might like. It's called it's Sealand, the true story of the world's most stubborn micronation and its eccentric royal family. Mm. And it's about the family that takes up residence on. Right. You know the story, and they start a radio station. Yeah. yeah. Out in the, yeah. Like, off of the English coast, like an old. Um... Observation post for World War II for sighting ships and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or a weather station or something like that. Yeah. 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 And they had a radio station and they that they ran and nice. uh, de- defended their their little micronation, teensy tiny nation. Um, you know what? I know my fate. My first memory of listening to an audiobook with Daddy. What? Ah. I was a new librarian. I hadn't been working in a library for very long, and the Harry Potter books were still coming out. (laughs) And I needed to listen to the newest Harry Potter book so that I could talk to the kids I worked with about it. And Daddy hadn't read any of the Harry Potter books before, and he was kind of grumbly about it. Had no interest. He had no interest in it at all. We were driving out to visit Uncle Trace, and I said, can we just listen to this for a little while? And we listened to it for a while, and I said, okay, do you want to put on the radio? And Daddy said, well... Maybe one more disc, because then we were still listening to books on CDs. Yeah. It makes the miles fly by. It really does make the really miles fly by. Really makes them fly by. And at one point, we got so far into it, Daddy got really wrapped up in the story, and he goes, That Snape has got to go! <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I knew yeah. I'd hooked him. Yeah. <laughs> that was very well done, yeah. So a good audiobook can definitely... Take your, I mean, it doesn't distract you from driving, but it takes away that, okay, we've gone one more mile, only 599 more to go. What do you want to start with, Paul? I'm pretty easy going on a trip. I just, uh, once we get rolling, until we get into the hang of things, whatever people want to do is fine, as long as they're not bickering or arguing. <laughs> Spoken like the driver. <laughs> I all, I wish that we, I, I know that we're not from here. It's like oh. a really, really good book. Except I wish we saved it for the trip. It was just so good. It was so good. So, But think about all the other so good books that are out there that we haven't listened to yet. Any votes for Pride and Prejudice? 
Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. Should yeah, start off with a shorter one. Yeah. So should should I just surprise you? Yes. Surprise us, yeah. Because Pride and Prejudice is not a short <laughs> That's book. That's not right? it's sarcastic. It's very, very. It's not a short book. No. Okay, so maybe we can. Um, I'll figure it out. We'll we'll listen to a bunch of books on this trip, and then maybe I can. We can all update the podcast listeners after our trip. Yes. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any closing thoughts? No, I think it's a very hard problem to try to find something, especially with a family in the car, that appeals to everyone. I think that makes sense. So it, since um, since we're talking about listening to more like middle grade books that capture our attention, do you, and, and we know Daddy sometimes enjoys those as well, do you think maybe we could listen to some of his Apollo book too? Shoot for the moon. Um, it's hard to choose new books. So how do you find books to read or listen to? Well, my one of my favorite books called Once Upon a Marigold I found just because like it stuck out like from the spine, but it was really good. And I think Words on Fire we were you recommended it to me on like when we were on a train. Right. Yeah, you have very good suggestions. Oh, so are you saying like librarians might be a good source of information? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Two out of three of my favorite. Wait, no. Three out of four of my favorite books a librarian has suggested, and it was you. Oh, that's really sweet. That makes me feel pretty good. (laughs) Okay. All right. I think uh, we have taken up enough time here. So um, thank you all, listeners, for indulging in my family's uh, open conversation about how we will entertain ourselves for 40-plus hours in the car these next few weeks <laughs> so this is audiobook editor heather booth and her family signing off until next time bye, bye everyone say do you like reading do you like hearing what authors have to say about their writing then you've just got to hear the shelf care interview it's a quick conversation between a book lister and a book person about their work their inspiration and whatever else we can fit in under 15 minutes Hear Maggie Reagan talk to Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds about Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Hear Ronnie Curry chat with Susan Mwadi Daraj and Simon Nurali about their series for young readers, Farah Rocks and Sadiq, or to Saba Tahir, Nicole Andelfinger, and Sonia Lau and their graphic novel, A Thief Among the Trees. Hear Julia Smith talk to Tracy Hecht about the Nocturnal series, and more. Can you believe there's more? You can find the Shelf Care interview right on this here podcast feed or wherever you listen to Bookless Shelf Care, the podcast. Happy listening! Okay, so Heather has returned alive from vacation to Yellowstone. Heather, I'm dying to know, did your children fall in love with Mr. Darcy? No, they didn't. Um, I that Pride and Prejudice got no votes in the for car listening. So they didn't specifically reject him. They didn't reject him. And my twelve year old, I think, is like halfway in love with Mr. Darcy because we we did watch the BBC miniseries. Yeah, during lockdown. But yeah, I I showed her this like joke about Pemberley and she didn't get it. So I think there's still work to be done. They're not ready. They're yeah. not ready. <laughs> They're not ready. Yeah. Um, but uh I am doing another long drive 
with um, my parents coming up and I'm hoping that I can sell my mother on listening to Pride and Prejudice with me. Okay. Good luck. Hope is alive. But so what did you listen to on this trip with your fam? We started out uh, late at night driving. Um, and so it was lots of my husband's podcast favorites. So he, he listened to Lay Show, which is Harry Shearer's podcast and Hidden Brain with Shankar Vedantham. And then once morning rose and we started off driving again, the kids voted to listen to one that we had that we had downloaded for the trip, but then already had listened to. It was uh, We're Not From Here, which is a lovely audiobook uh, Odyssey Award honoree. Um, and so we started listening to that again. And then there was also, they voted in uh, Song for a Whale. Mm-hmm. which had a surprising connection that my husband really enjoyed with um, antique radios. So that was fun. We all enjoyed that. And then I listened to The King of Confidence by Miles Harvey, which is about kind of a con man that was involved in the early days of the uh, Mormon church in Wisconsin and Illinois. Um, so I listened to that on my own. Whoa. I think cons are the new murder in the true crime scene. So... That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, there's definitely a lot of fun connections with that and interesting characters. So I think there's the, the the strange characters that have their own way of thinking about things is definitely a draw in that one. So your careful audiobook planning did not quite go as planned. It didn't. But it was still fun. Didn't ruin the trip. It was still fun. Didn't ruin the trip. I'm so glad that we had a lot of variety on the trip because we were in the car for a really, really, really long time. And it was good for me to see that sometimes people just need to not listen to audiobooks. And I have to acknowledge and honor that that is their truth. Okay. So, all right. A good lesson for all of us. Good lesson. Good lesson for all of us. Listen to your truths, people. (laughs) But also listen to audiobooks. Yes. Listen to your truths and listen to audiobooks. There we go for the rest of 2020. Mm Well, welcome back and good luck on your next trip. Thank you. Thanks for the update. (laughs) And that's a wrap on the 10th episode of Shelf Care, the podcast. I hope you all found some inspiration and some good ideas, or at least that it got you thinking about what you would listen to on a 40-hour road trip. You know, if we're ever allowed to leave our houses. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.